Many women feel less confident about making investment decisions than men, which is not surprising because the financial industry was built by men for men. Women tend to score lower on financial literacy tests. We just aren't taught these things. Our parents teach their sons, but not their daughters. And we've been behind and we need to catch up. Dow Jeans was founded to close the financial gender gap. The company's founders, Britt Baker and Lorianne King, have a bold goal to get 10,000 women to start investing by 2025. Because good things happen when more women have money. I'm Britt Baker, and this is a lesson on how to think like an investor. Britt, what is your earliest memory of being creative? I made up dances as a young girl. It was probably in middle school. No, no, elementary school when that first started, like third or fourth grade. I remember I had a CD that my parents gave me of songs from the 60s and 70s. And (laughs) the song Dizzy, do you remember that song? No, how does that go? Dizzy, my head is spinning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Super old school. And I made up dances with my friends and my cousins, and we would perform them for an audience of our parents as soon as we rehearsed and yeah. Yay. Oh, I love that. I love that. You started investing when you were eight. (laughs) I did everything from a young age. (laughs) Tell me about that. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. My parents were really great at teaching us about financial concepts in really practical ways. Rather than just a theoretical concept of compounding interest, they actually taught us compounding interest by offering us compounding interest. My brother and I both had the opportunity to, if we wanted to save our money and invest it in this bank that our parents created for us, we could get daily compounding interest. Oh my goodness. Okay. But we would have to do the math ourselves. That was the catch. And and from that age, from eight was when you started? From eight. Okay. How is the formula working? Because I'm creative. I'm coming at money (laughs) differently and elderly by your standpoint. So how are you working that out? Just curious. Yeah. I got like an allowance of $2 a week or something. And if I spent it, then it would be gone. But if I put it into the bank, I would enter in the ledger $2. And then they offered us a 5% daily compounding interest rate (laughs) to really incentivize us. And we would multiply the total amount that we had in the bank by 5%, add that to the total, and that would be the new total for the day. And we could do that each week when I got my allowance, I would add to the bank and calculate the interest. And when were you making withdrawals? I rarely did. I've been a saver my whole life. My brother, he would take money out and buy the next Lego kit, but I just saved and saved. Mm. Great. Uh, This is it. I'm banking this for my toddler. I love this idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, eight years old sounds pretty good. Okay. Tell me, he already likes to use the plastic card. Like he already knows, you know, paying and what that is. And he has a little role in that. Tell me about the Dow Janes, which I love that name of the business. Mm -hmm. And before we even had the podcast, I came across that. I was like, this is brilliant. Tell me a little bit about the concept of the business and how you formed it. Absolutely. I have to give credit to the name to my mom and her investment club. She was part of an investment club when I was a young girl and they called themselves the Dow Janes and they 
met every few months and actually made investments together mm. and kind of tr they pooled money and then invested it and kept track of it. And it was all women and mostly older women in their you know 50s and 60s. And that's where I got the name. You know, I was exposed to the financial concepts and the idea of investing from a young age. And was that her business or profession? Had she been no, in No, it was finances? just a side. It was just a club. Just a just club. A, just fun. Okay. Yeah. Good. Like a book club. After graduating from Harvard Business School, moved back to the Bay Area, and all of my friends had started asking me about investing. They said, what do I need to know to get invested? How do I start? Where do I begin? And I started similarly going after my mom, like a little book club, a book club for women, for my women friends to teach them about investing. I would either share over Zoom or gather them in my living room and just teach really basic concepts about what are stocks? What are bonds? What is a diversified portfolio? How do you allocate assets? Like these terms that had been thrown around that people didn't really you know, know what to do with, explaining the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA in really easy to understand ways. And that became something that people just asked about all the time. I would go to a <laughs> party or a dinner and they were like, when is the next Dow Jane's meeting? I want to come. I need to be a part of it. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, it was just really organic and something I did also on the side. I had my another business I was doing and said there got to a point where I realized how many people wanted this, how missing this was in the market mm -hmm. and decided to turn it into a, a business that was online where we could reach way more people than I was reaching from my living room. Mm -hmm. I teamed up with my best friend and business partner, Lorianne. And we crafted what we thought would be a really helpful product online course for people to learn the basics of personal finance. And it was in January of 2020, before COVID, that we launched this business. Mm -hmm. And the way we did it was we interviewed 20 of the women who had been in the what we call now the OG Dow Janes, the yes. living room version. Great. We interviewed them, asking them, what are you looking for? What would be the couldn't dream this up product? Mm -hmm. and put together what is called the Million Dollar Year. And it's mm. this year-long program with coaching, with community, with step-by-step -step instructions for basically building your entire financial foundation, putting systems in place, and getting invested. I am not a fan of the word retirement. I call mm. it, uh, yeah, I really don't like it. I, I call it my passive income account or Love my it. investment account, just changing Love the it. language. And I, I'm coming to finances much or a love of finances. I like a love to, to use money, but I felt as though there was much emphasis put on money that we forget about the values behind it, forgetting that money benefits humans. Studies and statistics show that women do invest differently and that there is a trend as women invest more that they're investing in environment or ESG. ESG, environmental social governance. Tell me a little bit about what you know about women investing and the changing way that women do. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's two parts to this answer. And one is what needs to change. And then one is really hopeful. The stats are that women invest later and less often than men. And that sets them back. I love that you call it your passive income account mm -hmm. because that's exactly what it is. And the sooner you get started, the more passive income you will have. And the fact that women tend to score lower on financial literacy tests, we just aren't taught these things. Our parents teach their sons, but not their daughters. And we've been behind and we need to catch up. And what's great, what's hopeful is that when women do get invested, they are better investors. They invest with their values. 
they invest in ways that support the environment and social causes. So it's really one of our missions is to get 10,000 women invested by 2025. Mm. And we know that when you know, women are investing, it's doing good for the world. I found an interesting statistic. It says women reach their peak earning power at age 44 with an average salary of 66,000 as compared to men who reach peak earning power at 55. And my immediate response to that was false because Mm. I actually personally did not start earning any quote unquote real money until over 40 because that's when I was getting organized around it. And yes, it's been a catch up game, but when I saw that, I'm like, I am not at my peak earning power yet at all. But what would you say to someone who feels like they are late? It's too late to invest. Why bother at this point? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's such a good question. We hear that all the time. People who are like, I'm in my 50s and I haven't saved anything for retirement. Is it too late for me? And what I always say to those people is you know, it's never too late. You have to start somewhere. You might as well start now. And one of the misconceptions that people have is that if they start in their 50s, they only have 10 years. But the truth is you don't take all of your money out the day you retire or the day you stop working. You actually have you know your entire life to leave that money invested. Mm-hmm. And people starting in their 50s could have 30 or 40 years to invest their money. Also, women live longer. Exactly. So you best start at now at some point. Women make 90% of the household financial decisions. Is there a way to strengthen their confidence in that area or is there something they're missing in that area? Yeah, it's interesting. Make 90% of the household decisions, but often aren't the ones who are making the investment decisions. They often don't know where the money is or in what accounts or how it's being used. They make purchasing decisions, which is great. That's where women have a lot of say. And it's great that women have the the vote with the household dollar. But where there's a gap is really understanding the rest of it, where the money is invested and how it's growing. And a lot of women traditionally in household dynamics will give that piece to the men, mm-hmm. to the husband, and then they'll be in charge of the day-to-day groceries, et cetera. But the the real potential is in where the money is invested and how that is growing. Right. They divest themselves of their power in that area. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot of women who come to us after divorce or after death and have they're now on their own for the first time and dealing with the whole spectrum of finances themselves and don't even know where to begin. That's a huge place where we help them bring back their power and learn, build their own foundations that they can make all the decisions. I'm in some women in real estate groups and I've seen women talking about how they are trying to make this new financial reality for their family by investing. And their husband is not on board with it because he has whatever way that he wants to do it or doesn't do it. Do you ever come across that? And how do you encourage them to have a different conversation with their spouse? Yes. Yeah. We get this question a lot, actually, because the women who sign up for the million dollar year, they're feeling you know, excited about taking on finances and budgeting and setting up auto saving and getting invested. And they come to us and they say, I'm excited about this, but I can't get my husband on board. Or like, we've had, we've tried to have financial conversations and it's just not working. What do you recommend? And 
what we recommend is that they just do it themselves. You don't have to do it with all the household money. You don't have to get him on board. You can just do this for yourself. And often by them just committing to it, they tend to bring anyone else partners on board because of their excitement and their commitment to it. But really just takes people doing it on their own to bring anyone else along. Mm-hmm. I found that too. Sometimes though, I can't even get women to make the investment without checking in. And I've learned that when somebody says, oh, I have to check with my husband, it often has nothing to do with the husband. It has to do with whether or not she's going to make the choice to step into her own power. One of the things we teach is that's actually great communication. You should have a If you're in partnership and you share money, you should have a dollar amount over which you discuss everything. And and that's just a a great habit to get into. And in some ways, it's a good practice. And if the answer is no, and you really want to do it, then I think there should be another process that happens, which is, okay, I'm going to save for this on my own, and I'm going to do it anyway. On a broader social scale, the gender wage gap, which we talk about a lot. And I don't know if you have a perspective on if that will be closed or how to close that? Or is that a conversation we even need to waste time on? Should we just skip it and (laughs) do do the work around and go right to having us invest? Let's not have us worrying about how much money we don't have and let's have us just start to learn to invest. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with it is the gender wage gap is talked about a lot. And I think there are ways to get around it as more and more women get into, into entrepreneurship and you know determine their own wages with their own businesses. That's one way. You know, that's a bigger social construct that will hopefully change over time. But something that we do have control over that we don't talk about as much is the investment gap is how women invest later and less often in life. And that we have total control over. Women could get invested with their first paycheck if they knew how and were ready to. And that's where, with compound interest, that's where the difference happens. I'm not sure if you can answer this question. Your co-founder, she has an energy background. And when I teach about money, because it always comes up, right? When we're setting our value, we're staking a new claim on a new price for our services. It is an emotional and tangible conversation a lot of the time. Do you talk about money in terms of that more emotional perspective? And what are the kinds of tips that you offer there? We start with that in our program. In the Million Dollar Year, we have 12 steps and the The first step is about committing to spending time with your money each week. And the second step is called heal. And it's where we really address everything that's emotional related to money. It's your relationship to money. It's the story that you've had. You've been telling yourself about money. It's really getting clear on the realizing the relationship that you inherited, usually from your parents, about how we relate to money and use money and the habits and patterns that we've probably fallen into. And then it's about shifting that and rewriting the story. We have people write a money persona. Who do they want to be when it comes to money? What are they shifting into? Mm-hmm. And it's such a huge piece because until you shift that part of it, your relationship to money and your emotions around money, you can't make any other changes in your life because you're just going to fall back into your old habits and ways. Well, what are the common struggles that you see there? Or what are the common emotional, are there themes that come up? One of the themes is 
fear that if I make more money, I won't be accepted either by my family or my friends. So that's one that we have to shift out of. And do you think that's more common for women than it is for men? Definitely. Why do you think, why is that? I think the way that socially we've been brought up is not to emphasize that. It's not what's important as women. Like what's emphasized is to get along instead of to achieve traditionally. Another, let's see, another big challenge we have is that people associate money with evil. Like it's not, it's actually bad to have money and evil people have money. And so we try to shift that attitude by reminding them of the really powerful people who have money who are doing good with that money. And to realize that your money is really just a, it's, it gives you choice and freedom in the world. And it is how you vote by anything you buy with your dollars or how you use your money is how you're voting in the world. And the more money you have, the more choice and freedom you have, and the more influence you can have if you want to. You know, unfortunately, how the, just to comment on the last piece, it's, I wish that weren't how it were. I wish that people without money could have influence and the way the world is today. It's, I'm hoping that it's moving in that direction, but it's not there yet. How would you define confidence in investing? Yeah, confidence in investing comes from you know, knowing what you're investing in, knowing just the language and the jargon and understanding the market, getting over the fear involved in investing. And that comes from both from learning and from an inner strength. There's such temptation to pull your money out of the market when it goes down. And that's absolutely the worst possible thing you could do as an investor. And really taking on what we call the mindset of an investor, thinking long-term, thinking about how your assets can make more assets for you and really learning what you need to know that you can invest confidently. And in one one more thing, is there a third thing that commonly comes up as a theme? There's a big story that that it seems like women carry more than men around, you know, I haven't learned this and so I can't learn this or no one taught me this and can I learn it? What's really cool about the way women learn is that we tend to learn from each other and in community and by sharing things with each other. And that's a big piece of our program is community. We have a you know, Facebook group of all the women who are part of the program and that just the ways that they share with each other and are learning beyond the curriculum from each other and in groups is that is just a major difference between men and women that we've been excited to see. Happen. We see a lot of among creatives in particular perfectionism. I'm curious if there is a desire to get it right, if that is why some women perhaps don't invest is because they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. I think there's perfectionism among men and women, and that fear of losing all my money is definitely what holds people back from investing. We talk a lot about the way women lead on this podcast and feminine leadership, and I'm curious Do you think women lead differently? And if yes, would you go as far as to describe it as feminine leadership? I think it depends on the woman, of course. I think some people take on more of a feminine leadership approach and some people tend to like the only thing they've seen is masculine leadership and they tend to go in that direction. So I'll speak to how Lorianne and I lead our business, which is definitely in a feminine way. One of the things we do is we actually try to design what we are working on each week based on where we are in our cycles, Mm, our menstrual cycles. Okay. Yeah. And how did you come to that? We've both read books about it. I read a fantastic book called In the Flow 
by Alyssa VT. But we both read about how your power, your cycles can be your superpower if you use it correctly. Like right now I'm ovulating. It's a great time to do a podcast. (laughs) Great. Okay. I love it. Why is that? Tell me why is that? Because it's when you are most expressive. It's when you're most easy. It's easiest to connect with other people. It's when you have your most energy for like outward expression. Great. Uh, The phase just before ovulation is the follicular phase, and that is great for planning and putting things in place and looking ahead and really like thinking big and thinking creatively. Mm -hmm. And the phase after ovulation is called the luteal phase, and that is a great time to get things done, to cross things off the list, to do any of those little tasks that have been weighing on you to just do the things that require less brain power and more just getting done energy. And have you aligned your cycles, which often happens with women who work together? Sometimes. Laurieann's pregnant right now. Congratulations (laughs) to her. Yes. Good. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Do you you share that with, you're sharing it with us, but do you share it with any men around you, men on your team? Have you gotten pushback for that? Like, how does that influence? Do you care? I'm curious. Yeah. It's on our team calendar. (laughs) We share it with anyone who wants to see it. We only have one man on the team at this time and it's Lorianne's husband and he's well aware of (laughs) of our cycle talk. I try to make cycle talk really normal. I talk about it with my husband. I talk about it with my brother. It's just, I wish more women were more open about their cycle because it can have such an influence on your energy levels, your capacity for different types of tasks. It can be also used against you though. And we have had this, we've seen this in political sphere, right? Where, oh, she's a woman. She can't run a big company. She can't do something challenging because women are crazy during their cycle. You obviously have built a million dollar company. Looking at your cycle is not hurting your finances. How would you respond to a comment like that? Yeah, I just have a little patience for comments like that. I mean, we've built a seven-figure business running it this way and running it in a lot of ways that other people probably wouldn't agree with. We use our intuition about for making a lot of business decisions. We decide to work on things that we have just like passion and drive for more than what the numbers say sometimes. And it has worked. And I think... There's a lot of different ways to run a business and you just have to find what works for you and this works for us. Can you give an example of something where the numbers dictated, oh, it would be more sensible to do X, but intuition told you to do Y and that worked out for you? This comes a lot into play a lot with pricing. Our program, we should be selling for twice as much. It's it's an incredibly comprehensive program. That has been a decision that's it's rooted in our values of wanting to serve as many people as we can. Mm-hmm. And we could probably sell it for more. And we just, our gut and our hearts want to keep it accessible. If you could, from an emotional heart place, tell me the one, like the number one heartfelt reason why women should understand money in this moment. Because once they understand money, they have the freedom to do what they want in their lives. We talk with so many women who are living paycheck to paycheck or in you know loads of debt, and their only focus can be on how are they going to pay rent next month, or how am I going to get out of debt? How am I going to even hit my minimum debt payment that I need to this month? 
when really there's so much potential and creative potential and life potential in everyone. And if money were not something that they had to worry about, that they could instead just be focused on you know, offering their gifts and sharing themselves with the world, it would be a better place. If I asked you to complete the sentence, my wish for every other woman is? My wish for every other woman is that they could do whatever they wanted in their lives without having to worry about money. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com. Voice